Hello, and welcome to episode four of my Leaders of the American Civil War podcast. Today, we're going to talk about Richard Owen, Dr. Richard Owen. Well, you might be asking, why are we talking about Richard Owen? Well, he was the first president of Purdue University, but before he was a boilermaker, he was an Indiana Hoosier. Richard Owen emigrated with his family from Scotland when he was 17 as part of his father's utopian experiment, which happened in uh, the 1820s in Indiana. Of course, this utopian experiment failed. Uh, Richard served in the Mexican War as well as the Civil War with the Union. He was a prisoner of war, and he was also a prison camp commander. He was colonel of the 15th and 60th Indiana Volunteers. He was the Indiana State Geologist, and he wrote some early works on the causes of earthquakes in the U.S. He lived in Nashville, and he taught at what is now Vanderbilt University. His life intersected with a number of interesting and prominent generals, including William T. Sherman, John T. Wilder, as well as Bushrod Johnson and Simon Bolivar Buckner. He surveyed the early Northwest Territory, which is now Minnesota. He was an everyday citizen soldier, just like so many hundreds of thousands who took part in the American Civil War, and that's what makes him interesting to me. As a side note, among the Scots that immigrated to the U.S., 50,000 of those fought in the American Civil War. In this episode, we'll discuss the Western Virginia campaign, which made, made McClellan famous. We'll discuss the capture of the Union garrison at Munfordville, Kentucky. We'll discuss what it is like to be a prisoner, or what it was like to be a prisoner of war in a northern POW camp. And we'll also discuss the Vicksburg campaign as well. Okay, so we're going to fast forward to uh, Richard Owen's time with the 15th Indiana Regiment. As soon as war broke out, Governor Morton of Indiana offered Dr. Richard uh, Owen the rank of lieutenant colonel in the 15th Indiana Volunteers. He accepted, and his regiment was among the earliest units to experience fighting in June of 1861. Owen and his 15th participated in battles of Rich Mountain and Greenbriars, West Virginia, Western Virginia. Shortly Afterwards, he, was, he confronted Robert E. Lee at Cheat Mountain, and they pushed the Confederates completely out of West Virginia. Owen did well enough in handling his men in these engagements that Governor Morton pro- uh, promoted him to full colonel. So let's talk a little bit about Western Virginia. The people of this area, uh, the mountaineers, as they like to call themselves, were very much like the people in the mountainous areas of Kentucky and Tennessee. They remained loyal to the Union. Western Virginia had no plantations and had no interest in slavery. So when Virginia, when the uh, Virginia Congress in Richmond seceded from the Union, these were among the many Virginia residents who did not support the idea. From Bruce Catton's This Hollowed Ground is the following. As far as Western Virginia was concerned, to be sure the administration had very little to worry about. The people beyond the mountains owned few slaves and had no great admiration for the Tidewater aristocracy. And Virginia has hardly seceded from the Union when they began casting about for a means to secede from Virginia. For the moment, Washington needed to do nothing about them except indicate approval and stand by to lend a helping hand when necessary. So on April the 17th, 1861, the Virginia State Convention in Richmond declared secession. Nearly all the delegates 
from counties in uh, west of the Allegheny Mountains voted against secession, and most of the people and officials in the area refused any direction from a secessionist government. On the 20th of June, a convention of Western Virginia delegates met in Wheeling and declared that by acceding to a secession, the officials of the state government in Richmond had forfeited their offices, which were now vacant. The convention then elected replacements for the state offices, creating the restored government in Virginia. This, of course, did not go anywhere with the higher-ups in Richmond. However, the idea, the idea of a separate unionist state breaking away from Virginia was indeed embraced by Lincoln and the U.S. Congress. Therefore, about a year later, the state of West Virginia was formed and added to the Union and became the only modern state to have declared its independence from the Confederacy. Now, led by McClellan and Rosecrans, the 15th Indiana, along with other regiments and many local Western Virginia volunteers, beat back uh, Lee and the Confederates. This essentially freed Unionists in the northwestern counties of Virginia to form a functioning government of their own as a result of the Wheeling Convention, again from Catton's book. In the end, McClellan's troop, troops swept the Confederates off the mountain range and out of the valley that lay beyond it, driving them all back to the main ridge of the Alleghenies. And if their victory was not particularly spectacular, its effects were permanent. The Confederates had lost Western Virginia for good. Creation of the new state of West Virginia would soon follow in due course. So on June the 20th, 1863, West Virginia was, was recognized as a separate state, and men from that state fought for the Union for the remainder of the war. Okay, so at this point, Indiana Governor Morton recalled Owen from Western Virginia and brought him back to Indiana to raise the 60th Indiana Volunteers. He was placed in command of the 60th, and his two sons, uh, Captain Eugene and Lieutenant Horace, both served, served under their father. At this point, uh, Colonel Owen's most, most significant service in the Army was rendered as the commanding officer at Camp Morton, a prison camp for Confederate soldiers in Indianapolis, Indiana. But before we get there, let's talk a bit about the capture of Forts Henry and Donelson. In February of 1862, Grant's Union forces captured Forts Henry and Donelson, and one of the 15,000 prisoners captured at Fort Donelson was Confederate General Simon Bolivar Buckner. And of the 15,000 prisoners that were taken at Fort Donelson, 4,000 of them were sent to Colonel Owen at court at Camp Morton in Indianapolis. Now, as a camp commandant, Owen earned a reputation for kindness and judiciousness at his camp. He wrote regulations that allowed the Confederates to effectively govern themselves. The prison camp regulations that Owen wrote placed much of the disciplinary authority in the hands of the Confederate sergeants. Owen was provided the prisoner, had provided the prisoners with books. He created a prison-staffed bakery and allowed them to form glee clubs theatrical groups, and sports teams. Owen even created a camp bakery that was staffed by prisoners, and the cost savings gained from the on-site bakery provided additional funds to purchase supplies and food for the prisoners. Despite these privileges, Owen uh, was also a disciplinarian 
who proved to be a capable and vigilant officer. He strictly enforced the uh, restrictions on mail and visitors, and only a few prisoners made their successful escape. Owen's stated goal was to treat prisoners in such a way, quote, calculated to make them less restless in their confinement and likely when they returned to their homes to spread among their friends and acquaintances the news that they had been deceived regarding northern men, unquote. Many of Camp Morton's prisoners were grateful for the human, humane treatment they received under Owen's leadership. He also earned the respect of his fellow officers and superiors for the efficient organization of the camp and management of its resources. Also, the citizens of the Hoosier uh, country turned out to be very generous to the bedraggled prisoners uh, that had arrived in the camp, sending wagon loads of food, necessities, and other uh, items, including some luxuries. At the time, very early in the war, no rules existed guiding the treatment of prisoners, so Owen took it upon himself to write up a a list of rules under which Camp Morton would, would operate. This list included included 11 rules which concerned the structure of the camp, what would be considered crimes and how they would be punished, uh, provisions for the washing of clothes and quarters, and general rules about life of the average prisoner, including a provision for the creation of a prisoner's fund. These rules reveal Captain uh, uh, Colonel Owen's intrinsic faith in humanity and perhaps harken back to his father's day as a, days as a utopian idealist. Now, Colonel Owen's policies were communicated to the Secretary of War, Stanton, who commended them highly and ordered that other camps should be managed in the same way. Let's talk about his early life. Richard Dale Owen, the youngest son of Anne, uh, Carolyn Dale, and Robert Owen, was born on January 6, 1810, in Lancashire, Scotland. Owen's Welsh-born father was a philanthropist and a successful textile manufacturer who became a noted social reformer. Owen's Scottish mother was the daughter of David Dale, a wealthy Uh, textile manufacturer, and Richard was one of eight children. Owen grew up in Braxfield House, the Owen family residence in Scotland, and received his early education from private tutors and at uh, New Lenark Grammar Schools. He also attended school in Hofwil, Switzerland, where he studied chemistry, physics, and natural sciences, among other subjects. After returning to Scotland, Owen continued his education, specializing in chemistry at the present-day University of of, uh, Strathclyde in Glasgow. Owen arrived in the United States at 17 and joined his brothers, Robert, William, and David, in Indiana, where their father had established a utopian experimental community at New Harmony, Indiana, in 1825. Now, Richard married young, and tragically, in 1828, his wife died. Uh, and at the, in the same year, his father's utopian experiment in New Harmony failed. After this, Owen traveled for a few years, farmed in Pennsylvania, lived in Cincinnati, where he briefly worked in the brewery, 
before returning to New Harmony to operate a flour mill and manage a farm. Then, in 1837, Owen married Anne Eliza Neef in a triple wedding ceremony. Owen's brother David married Anne's sister Caroline, and his brother William married Anne Bolton of the same, in the same ceremony. The three couples shared the Owen family home at New Harmony for the first three years of their married life, along with their brother Robert and his wife Mary Jane, and their sister Jane and her husband as well. Personally, I have no idea how this worked. Uh, people at the time must have been much more patient and understanding of, of each other in the 19th century than, uh, than we are today. In 1847, Richard Owen served for almost two years in the Mexican War. Richard Owen's brother, Robert, was in the U.S. Congress, and he used his position to get Richard Owen appointed captain of the 16th U.S. Infantry. And during the war, Owen was stationed in Monterey overseeing provision trains as a captain. This was uh, in 1847 to 1848. Upon his return from Mexico, he joined his brother, David, who was preparing for a survey of the Northwest Territory. And during the summer of 1848, the expedition mapped the region along the the southern shores of Lake Superior and in the northern Minnesota as far as the Lake of the Woods. Later that year, Owen accepted a professorship at Western Military Institute in Kentucky to teach natural science. He became part owner of the school along with Bushrod Johnson, who would later become a general in the Confederate Army. The college moved to Nashville, where it would eventually become part of Vanderbilt University. Owen also took courses for two years in order to receive his M.D. in 1858. With the students, uh, Dr. Owen was very popular, and if it had not been for the Civil War, he might well have become one of the leading educators in the South. However, this descendant of an egalitarian father openly condemned the stratification of the population in the South into master and slave, and which amounted to a caste society. To Southern gentlemen and their ladies, he announced, quote, talk not of aristocracy, of family, or of wealth in this free country, unquote. To guard against the rupture of the Union, he, rec- he recommended adjustment in the structure of the body politic to eliminate the grievances which, if, le- if left to flourish, might contaminate the whole organism. Quote, would we arrest the spark about to consume our countless possessions and perhaps destroy many human lives? We must take it at the beginning when the breath of a child could extinguish it, not when the raging elements have been fanned to a fury during the unnoticed hours of the night and now send to the starry vault a lurid glare that strives to emulate heaven's radiant luminary but only renders the surrounding darkness deeper, unquote. Unless sound counsel prevail, he foresaw, quote, a fierce civil war in which the horrors of Delhi would be surpassed. For here the curse of Cain would be realized, brother butchering brother, the bullet of the father reaching perhaps the heart of his only son, unquote. Unfortunately, his impassioned appeal was given no more consideration than was accorded other equally sound warnings. Prior to the outbreak of the Civil War, and largely because of his anti-slavery opinions, Owen resigned from his position in Nashville and sold his financial interest in the institution in 1858. 
After leaving Tennessee, he returned to New Harmony, Indiana to work as a surveyor with his brother and succeeded him as the state geologist when his brother died. Owen authored several scientific works at this time, which included geological surveys of several U.S. states. Okay, now back to the war in 1862. After setting up Camp Morton and running it for a few months, Colonel Owen was sent back to the front. On June 20th of 1862, he and his regiment left Indianapolis for Louisville. From there, they were sent to Munfordville, Kentucky, where they were immediately surrounded by Confederates under General Bragg during his ill-fated campaign to take back Kentucky. Before Owen's troops arrived at Mumfordville, though, on Sunday, September 14th, a small detachment of Bragg's Confederates under General Chalmers uh, launched an unauthorized assault on the small Union garrison, which was commanded by John T. Wilder, and it was a failure. Chalmers sent a note to Wilder that night demanding surrender of the Union garrison, but Wilder called his bluff and Chalmers withdrew during the night. The next day, Colonel Richard Owen left, led his nearly 1,000 reinforcements of the 60th Indiana to Munfordville, expanding the garrison to over 4,000 soldiers. But Bragg did not want to bypass Munfordville because of the key bridge across the Green River that was there, and especially now that his boy Chalmers had been humiliated. So he surrounded the garrison with, with his entire army and gave Wilder an opportunity to surrender. Wilder's Federals asked Bragg for some time to reconsider. Now, this was the same Colonel Wilder who would, years later, uh, famously purchase Spencer repeating rifles for his brigade in the Tullahoma uh, and Chickamauga campaigns. During the Tullahoma campaign, Wilder's Lightning Brigade, as they would be called, would play a key role seizing Hoover's Gap. And just before the Battle of Chickamauga, Wilder's brigade would play a crucial role at Alexander's Bridge on September 18, 1863, to prevent the Confederates from flanking the whole Union Army that day. But meanwhile, back at Mumford, uh, Kentucky, Wilder was now faced with a dicey situation and requested a meeting with his enemy, General Bragg. During this meeting, he asked Bragg to prove that he had an overwhelming force that surrounded the Federals. Uh, At this request, Bragg ordered uh, Confederate General Simon Bolivar Buckner to lead Wilder on a tour of the rebel positions. Now, this is the same Simon Bolivar Buckner from Fort Donelson uh, that Grant had captured that we discussed earlier. In fact, he made Ulysses S. Grant famous because he was the recipient of Grant's unconditional surrender letter at Fort Donelson, which the northern papers raved about and gave Grant the nickname Unconditional Surrender Grant. Grant was unknown up to this point, but now he was famous. Now, Buckner then surrendered his entire 15,000-man force to Grant, and many of those soldiers ended up in POW camps, uh, one of which was Richard Owens' camp, Morton, in Indiana. By now, hopefully you can see where this story is coming together. Now, 
Colonel Wilder was not yet a professional soldier, but he was very smart and resourceful. So he asked for Buckner's advice as a gentleman. Buckner was taken back and replied, quote, this is not how wars are fought, unquote. But Buckner had a reputation as a gentleman's gentleman to uphold, so he gave Wilder his honest advice that, he, that his situation was indeed hopeless and he should surrender the garrison. So that's what Wilder did. Therefore, at 6 a.m. on September 17, 1862, Wilder led approximately 4,000 soldiers under his command out of Munfordville fortifications and surrendered to Bragg. This included Richard Owen and his 60th Indiana Regiment. Now, when Colonel Owen was captured, some of his former students from Kentucky Military Institute who were fighting for the Confederacy at first gloated that, quote, Old Dick and both his boys, unquote, had been caught. But with all their satisfaction, they shielded him from harm, and they rejoiced when General Buckner personally called on uh, Colonel Owen and expressed his appreciation for the kindness that Owen had shown the prisoners at Camp Morton. This was one of those amazing stories that show you never really know uh, how matters might come back around. When the 60th Regiment was paroled, uh, Colonel Owen was given his full liberty and allowed to retain his sidearms. General Bushrod Johnson, who had worked with him at the Institute, called on him, and General Bragg also paid his respects and showed him uh, conspicuous courtesy. Now, uh, Bragg only held his new prize of Mumfordville for only three days. With his supplies running low and Buell's Army of the Ohio bearing down on him, Bragg renewed his original course of action. On September 20th, 1862, he abandoned Mumfordville and moved his army northeast toward Bardstown to carry through with his planned rendezvous with Kirby Smith. Okay, at this point, Colonel Owens and the 60th Indiana were transferred to Mississippi to serve under Sherman and Grant. During the remainder of 1862 and all of 1863, Colonel Owens' regiment was heavily engaged in the battles of Yazoo Pass, Chickasaw Bayou, Arkansas Post, where his regiment uh, saw quite a bit of loss in terms of uh, wounded and killed, at Port Gibson, Champions Hill, Vicksburg, and soon after the capture of Vicksburg, Owen was promoted to brigade command and was with Sherman at the taking of Jackson, Mississippi. And after this, he was with General Banks. He was dispatched with General Banks to take part in the Red River Campaign. Now, earlier in 1863, Owen's son, Horace, who was an adjutant of the brigade, had resigned his commission to return to civilian life in order to care for their mother, for his mother. Colonel Owen did not want to shift indefinitely the responsibility on his son, which really was, was his own. And by the end of 1863, Vicksburg and Gettysburg were in Union hands. The back of the South had been badly strained, if not broken, and the prospect of Northern victory seemed assured to Owen. So he resigned his commission and went back to Indiana to look after his wife and to resume his academic career. On January 1st, 1864, Owen became a professor of natural sciences at Indiana University and moved to Bloomington, Indiana. 
He retained the position at IU for 15 years until his retirement in 1879. In addition to geology, uh, Owen taught chemistry, language, and natural philosophy. Owen also sold the university a collection of stones and fossils and soil that his family had collected. A versatile writer, Owen authored articles for professional journals, popular magazines, and newspapers. In the 1860s, he published geological surveys in New Mexico, Arizona, and North Carolina. His research interests included the causes of earthquakes and their effect on the formation of the planet. He also studied the Earth's magnetic field. But a project of greater interest to him was in the location of the land-grant college provided for by the Morrill Act of 1862. He had not been at Indiana University one month before the faculty passed a resolution designating President Nutt and Professor Owen, quote, a committee to attend on behalf of the faculty to securing, if circumstances permit, the establishment of the proposed agricultural normal school in connection with Indiana University and report from time to time, unquote. Originally, this new planned school would be affiliated with Indiana University. Instead, the state used the appropriated funds in 1869 to create a new school near Lafayette, Purdue University. Owen's, Owen became uh, Purdue's first president in 1862, prior to the establishment of buildings, faculty, and students on the West Lafayette camp- campus. After working with the Board of Trustees to structure and begin uh, the campus work, he resigned the day before the first classes met in 1874. Owen sold Purdue a collection of science books that served as the basis of the library's first or the university's first library. After his resignation as university president, Owen res- resumed teaching full time at in- Indiana University and served as create- curator of IU's museum on the Bloomington campus. He retired in 1879, and in March of 1890, at the age of 80, Dr. Richard Owen died of an accidental poisoning. Owen is buried in Maple Hill Cemetery in New Harmony, Indiana, where his epitaph reads, quote, His first desire was to be virtuous, his second to be wise, unquote. Buildings named in uh, Owen's honor are erected on uh, Indiana University's Bloomington campus and at Purdue University's campus in West Lafayette, Indiana. And after the Civil War, Camp Morton's former prisoners held Owen in such high esteem that they collected funds and received permission to erect a monument in his, his honor. In 1913, a group of Confederate Army veterans led by the newspaper magnate Sergeant Major Sumner Archibald Cunningham dedicated a bronze uh, bust of Colonel Owen by uh, Bell Kinney at the Indiana State House in, in Indianapolis. The memorial commemorates Owen's, quote, courtesy and kindness, unquote, towards the prisoners, the Confederate prisoners who were held at Camp Morden in Indianapolis during the war. A replica of the bronze bust of Owen was placed at the uh, Indiana Memorial Union on the IU campus in Bloomington. Okay, join me in my next episode in which we will discuss Confederate General E. Porter Alexander.